we've been walking through the past several weeks, and we're on our fifth week here, uh, through an incredible book that's been incredibly challenging to me. Maybe you've had the opportunity to read Nehemiah um, and uh, un- kind of unfold its uh, many, many secrets, uh, but uh, the challenge from Nehemiah goes far beyond just us as men, but it, it challenges us as leaders. It challenges us as, as husbands and wives, uh, sons and daughters, and in so many different ways. And, and this morning, um, if you are joining us for the first time, last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we kind of concluded in chapter 2 where Nehemiah invited other people into the work that God was doing. And, and, and it was based on the, the celebratory work of what God had already done. See, based on his promises, people were invited in. And so chapter 3, we get this incredible picture of this massive group of people walking in. Now, now I just want you to know, it was intentional to give a, the, these first 12 verses to, you know, one of our elders. You know, I, there's all kinds of names. Um, and, uh, and so we've got a, we had an ongoing bet. We're like, okay, how many names is he going to butcher? And, and uh, it's okay, Paul. I'm probably going to butcher many of these uh, as we walk through. Um, but uh, but there, there's a lot of names, and you're going, man, Joel, there's a lot of names. Where are we going with this this morning? But I, I want you to know God's word, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, there are so many ways to look at God's word and how it constantly unfolds itself, as you'll see here this morning. Um, one of the things that I love about looking at these first 12 verses is, is it is. It's, it's just a bunch of people who decided to kind of finally roll up their sleeves, um, finally get to work on this on this huge wall, and not just these walls, but also these gates that we're going to look at and, 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 and really kind of get into it. I mean, they, they heard the call from Nehemiah, and they said, hey, you know, we, we've got work we've got to do. We got to get in. We got to get our hands dirty. We got to start working on this incredible task that God had laid on Nehemiah's heart. But more than that, it's something that God has now laid on our heart. We've been invited into a work bigger than ourselves, and we're not going to stop Till it's done. And so I, I was so excited um, as we get here in, in Nehemiah chapter 3. But before we do, I, I want to start out by throwing you, um, I want to throw you a thought. I think there is, um, there's a misconception, and, and maybe misconception is not the right word. Um, maybe there's, it's more of probably a lie, that I think we as followers of Jesus, I think we've bought into um, in Christendom, in the Church of America, in the church as a whole over the course of the years. And I don't think it's been something that's been um, all of a sudden. I think it's been this subtle journey that we as, as a people have grown um, more comfortable with. That we've kind of begun, okay, and, and here's the misconception. The misconception is this, is that somehow, some way, we have siphoned our way, siphoned our responsibilities down to something that, uh, and when I say responsibilities, responsibilities is in what is God asking of us. We have somehow read this book, siphoned it down to things that we like rather than what is true. And I think it happens, like I said, I think it's just, I think it's subtle. It's like you watch that YouTube video or you read that article and you're like, mm-hmm, I just, I knew it, right? You, you watch a YouTube video and you're like, I just, I feel like that that's right. And, I, and, I, and it's like, 
well, how are you going to feel tomorrow? You know, because because that may change. But but sometimes we 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 listen to a YouTube video and we're like we just kind of gravitate. And I know we live in a hypersensitive culture. We live in a where everyone's offended about every little thing and and all of the sort. And and so we put a huge emphasis, especially in our postmodern world, on how we feel rather than what is true. And so when we take these feelings and we, we trumpet them and we put them in a position in our hearts and in our lives, all of a sudden they become the deciding factor on what is right and wrong as opposed to what is right and wrong. And, and, and it's so easy to do. And I, and I say that because, because you, ha- you have this huge group of people here. In, in these first 12 verses, and, and even as you go through the whole chapter, there's even more names that are mentioned. But there's this huge group of people, and had they just kind of woke up, and they heard Nehemiah's call, oh, you, you want us to work, huh? How long is this going to take, you know? You know? Is this, you know, I got a, I got a thing with a guy at a place down the road, and I, I don't know, is this, is this going to cost a lot? Like, like, there's no conversations like that that I read here in this scripture. Like, it, it's, not, it's, not this, it's not this thing where it's, it's like how they feel. It's based on, no, God said it. I'm with them, so I'm going to do it. Like, that's just, it's, and, and I hate to make it so black and white, but can I just be honest with you? It very much is when we pay attention to what these pages are saying to you and to me. So one of the things, let me, let me put it this way. I think we have traded a couple things. I think we've traded sacrifice for convenience. See, uh, sacrifice is hard. And so the children of Israel, man, they probably had to sacrifice a lot to begin this wall, to begin to start building this thing, this monstrosity. And again, they're surrounded by enemies. Do you remember? Like they're surrounded by enemies. The enemies do not want this work to happen. There is opposition all around them. There is the enemy that is ready to literally just jump on them and stop the work as quickly as they possibly can. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, when the sacrifice becomes too great for us as followers of Jesus, we, we kind of head towards convenience. That, that, Joel, that's... That's really hard. Wait a second. You, you want me to serve two times a month? Oh, wow. That's 24 times a year, Joel. You know, that, that, you know, you know what that means, right? That means I, I, you're asking me to serve 24. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Have you gone? Uh, do you go out 24 times a year? I mean, is that, is that an inconvenience for you to get in the car and, and like, drive to a, to, to a restaurant? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, we're not asking, you know, but, we're, yeah, we may ask you to serve two times a month. Maybe in the children's area where we have the privilege of sharing the gospel with children that maybe don't know him. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we've, we've traded sacrifice for convenience. We've also, I think, traded work for donations. You know why? Because it's a whole lot easier to do that rather than to do this and to get to work. See, it, it, but, isn't, but sometimes we have, again, this misconception that isn't that the reason why I pay the church? I mean, I, I pay the church so they should do all this work 
that, uh, that I, I just want, I just like the benefits of Jesus. I like the benefits of Christianity. I like the, I like the benefits of membership. Okay, I get double miles when I'm here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I, uh, this, there's something, there's privilege in, in membership, you know, and so, but I'd rather pay someone to do it rather than to get in and do it myself. Now, I'm just, again, I'm not just talking to, to all of us. I'm talking to, to this guy, too. There's been multiple times in my life where it is so much easier to just kind of go, well, can I just pay someone to do it, Right? See, I, I, I just moved from a place where um, there's a lot, of, a lot more greenery than there is here. So you've got a lawn, and there's a, it's called a weed eater. And you just you, you weed eat, and uh, and and you even have to sometimes you got to aerate the, the the yard, and there's just a lot of there's a lot of work, and and so there's times that I I would go, hey, can can you come can you come do this? I I'd I'd rather I'd rather um, not not kill my hands today um, if I can, and or my back, and 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 so you pay someone to do it, but but we've extended this very same convenience to our own walk with Jesus. Hey, can someone else do my Christian life for me? Again, this is is something I've had to confront on multiple times in my life. And we really have to be honest. I think the children of Israel had to be honest going, is this this what I really want to do? Do I really want to get in and get dirty with this wall? Do I really want to sacrifice? Do I really want to do this kind of thing? And I think maybe the last, maybe another way that we can look at it is, is I think we've traded discipleship for attendance. I'm here, Joel, I'm, I'm, I'm present, but I, I don't want to, man, I don't want to read this. I'm not a good reader. Uh, you know what? There's incredible apps that will read things for you now. I mean, it's incredible. You just Audible or, or Blue Letter Bible or whatever. I mean, you can just go online and it, they will, it will read this book to you. And all you got to do is pay attention and dial into what it is actually saying. But I think we've traded, we've just traded discipleship for attendance. And we think that if I just show up, if I just check this box and I serve on a Sunday occasionally, and if I just throw a couple books in, bucks in the offering plate, then somehow I will reap the full benefit of the Christian life. But what you don't understand is, is if Jesus is not Lord of all, I have a hard time believing he's Lord at all. When Jesus is not Lord at all, then I'm I'm here to say you're just playing church. You're going through the motions. And you're 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 sweating things out and you are you're trying to do certain things that are convenient rather than going, I am a follower of Jesus, my life no longer belongs to me, so therefore my life is called to something bigger, something larger than myself, and so therefore my life is to be spent from beginning to end, from morning till night, until I see him face to face, because I no longer belong here. Paul says this in Philippians chapter one. He says this, I love this, I love how he puts this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, above all, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Do you realize that we're aliens here for those that actually know Christ? Like, your home, your residency is not of this world. And so Paul rightfully uses, he goes, you're citizens of heaven. And as such... There are responsibilities 
that you have. There are, there's a calling on your life that is bigger than you. Just like any citizen in America, there's responsibilities that we have. We are citizens of heaven that have been placed upon us, not based on feeling, not based on, on our own experience, but based on what God has told us. We are citizens of, and he says, he goes on to say, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of your feelings. No. Worthy of the good news. You see, it has, has less to do about us and everything to do about him. And Paul's going, look, the calling that, that these children of Israel have is a calling bigger than themselves. It's, it, they, they are to live their lives in a manner that's worthy of God Almighty, the one that has changed them, rescued them, transformed them. And then he goes on to say, he goes, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. See, I love how Paul pulls all the strings together. He goes, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are part of a body. You are part of something, something much more whole, something much bigger than you and I. And that whole purpose uh, revolves around completely the good news. And the good news um, is one spirit with one purpose fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And oh, by the way, don't be intimidated by the enemies. Don't be intimidated by them. You know why? Because the enemy, he's been around for a very long time, and he will sow seeds of doubt, and he will continue to, to try to thwart. I mean, again, the children of Israel are surrounded by enemies. Why are we so surprised when we're attacked? Why are we so surprised when the enemy tries to shut down the work that God is inviting you into or trying to hinder you, trying to afflict you? Sometimes it's, it's, that affliction is meant to test your faith. Sometimes it's just the enemy being the enemy trying to rob, steal, and destroy everything about you and about me. But God goes, no, I, I've transformed you. Into a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. Uh, don't be discouraged. Don't be intimidated when the enemy comes. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But they are going to be saved um, even by God himself. For you have been given the privilege. You've been, not only, you've been given not only the privilege. And I love that word. You've been given the privilege of trusting in Christ. Do you realize it's a privilege to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you realize it is a privilege that the God of the universe not just gave you a way, but gave you any way to him? It's a privilege to be invited into a, a, a to right standing with the God of the universe that when he looks at you, he no longer looks at you as tainted or sinful or broken, but he looks at you through the lens of his son and the blood that was poured out for you and for me. And so when he looks at us, he sees something not something ugly, something destitute, not something condemned, but something righteous, something holy. So it's a privilege that we, we have that. And he goes, it's also a privilege to suffer for him. 
So when these children of Israel are picking up the hammers and they're, they're going to work on this, into this calling and, and they're trying to build this, build this wall to, to get after the work that's bigger than him with one purpose and one call, uh, it's a privilege to suffer. I mean, that's what Paul says. It's a privilege to suffer for him. We are in this struggle together. You know, I've been married for almost 16 years and I'm so thankful that I don't have to do this marriage alone. If I've learned anything, and there's a lot of things that I have yet to learn, okay? And my wife continues to teach me. Guys are a little slower, okay? I'll just be honest. We're just, us as husbands, we just take a little, we're like an old car. We just, we just get, get warmed up, okay? But my wife has a ton of wisdom that she has poured out in, in, into my life in so many different ways. God has used her in so many ways. But, uh, but one of the things that, that I, I've realized is that Man, there's something sweet about doing the work together, fighting for this marriage together, serving together, fighting and, and, and working and parenting together. But you know what it also means? It also means when I'm standing next to someone that shares my heartbeat for my Savior, that, that understands my love for, for, to, to finish the work that God has placed on our life, you know what? It makes the work even sweeter. You notice that? It, it, makes, it makes the work that we're called into when, 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 you're, when you're working tirelessly, maybe think of it just physical labor. Think, think you, you work alongside someone and, and you're doing it all day and, and you're pouring your, your blood, sweat, and tears into whatever this project is. But then all of a sudden you look to your left and you look to your right and there's all these people that are doing it with you. And there's just something like, yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, this is, we can accomplish this. There's so, it's not, it's not gonna, yeah, it's hard and it's, it's difficult and, and no one wants to put the time, energy, and effort, but, but man, look at, look at what God has done. You know, when you step back and you begin to see that, and I feel like that, that's, that was what was happening here with these children of Israel. Man, they're in there and, and yeah, it's hard. And it was, had this huge collection of people. And I think Nehemiah gives us some insight about two things. He gives us some insight about the people that, that are listed here. But he also gives us some insight about the path. But let's look at the people first. I, I, think, I think this people, I think Nehemiah gives us five insights as we look at these, these crazy list of names and these crazy lists of people that I think we can take and, and it can show us concerning God's work. I think the first thing that we can look at is, is in verse 2 and 4. Look at verse 2 and 4. It says, people from the town of Jericho worked next to them. And beyond them was Zakur, son of Imri. Son. So, so all of a sudden, it's not just, it's not just, Young and old, it's, it's sons. And then when you look at verse 4, it mentions, um, it, it mentions grandsons. And then when you look at verse 12, it mentions daughters. You know what that, you know what that says? It says? It says that every type of person participated in the work. It, it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are what cultural background, what, what race, what creed. 
It doesn't matter any of those things. You know why? Because if scripture rings true, Nehemiah and what he is telling us here is that every single person of every socioeconomic background, of every race, of every creed is invited into this work and all of you are essential in accomplishing it. That's what this means. That's what it means. So if you're sitting there or you're looking or watching online and you're thinking that somehow you have an escape clause, you're not reading this book appropriately, okay? There is not an escape clause. The moment that you say yes to Jesus Christ, the moment you surrender and submit your life and you put your faith, your hope, and trust in Jesus Christ in the finished work on the cross is the moment you surrender every right that you ever had on the planet. You are no longer all about you. You're made for something more. You are a new creation. That old sinful self that used to want all that, the narcissist in us, the one that wants everything our way, the way that we want, the control freaks that can continue to come out. And and sometimes they still sometimes want to. I see it in my own life. i got to beat that thing down. My wife helps me beat it down. Sometimes she beats me. It's fine, you know. Not really. I'm just, okay, love you, sweetheart. All right, um. Ice works well. Okay, all right, no, I shouldn't say that, all right. <laughs> the reality is, 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 is there is these thi- there's this thing, this sinful nature that wants its way. And God goes, no, I, 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 I've got something more for you. Whether you're young or old, rich or poor, you're all invited in. And you can all do the work that I'm inviting you into. Meaning, meaning, here, you ready for this? Your skill set does not does not determine whether you can complete the work he's put in your life do you hear what i'm saying meaning you didn't have to go to seminary meaning you don't have to be a pastor Meaning you don't have to be the smartest guy on the planet, the smartest girl on the planet. You don't have to have uh, an MAR, a PhD, a GED. It doesn't matter. You don't have to have those things to be a devoted follower, an obedient follower of Jesus Christ your entire life. Where at the end of your life, God looks at you and goes, well done. Good job. You did exactly. You were the person I needed you to be. You were the one that said yes with what you had. And it's always enough. Always enough. It never lacks. Do you see God has placed everything in you that you need in order to accomplish what he is inviting you into? That's the first first thing. We got to keep going. Number two, I think, is your occupation doesn't determine your calling. How many times, how many times do I think we, we sacrifice and, and, and limit our contribution and our obedience to the Lord based on our occupation or our vocation? Oh, but God, I, he can do that so much better. She can do that so much better. Now, I, I like personality tests 
okay? I, there, there's good things about personality tests, but there's also a lot of things about personality tests that I hate. I'll just say it. I just, I, I don't like, you know why? Because sometimes, especially if you're, you know, you guys are into, there's, there's DISC and there's uh, Myers-Briggs and there's all these different ones and it's like, oh, you're a seven? Oh my gosh, you're a seven, you know, or you're a nine or, or oh, you're a DI? Oh gosh, you might hate people, I guess. I don't know, you know. I mean, you, you get labeled into these boxes. And so you know what you do? You try to begin to function in this box of personality that's been created around you. Now, I'm not saying that those personality tests don't identify certain strengths and weaknesses about you. But here's what I know about God. I know that sometimes when we limit ourselves only to our strengths, we say no to sometimes God in, in sometimes the way that God wants to work. Because what if God wants to actually use your weakness rather than your strength? Because isn't, isn't it about his glory rather than ours? So wouldn't it make sense sometimes that God goes, hey, I, I know you got this strength, but I could give a rip about your, that strength right here. I need your most despicable weakness. You know why? Because I'm going to get the glory, and I'm going to use you to do it. You see, you see how that works? You see how sometimes we say no because, because of our occupation, because, of our, because we've boxed ourselves in, and, I, and I'm saying, no, if God wants to use you, he will do it through you. He always has worked that way. And he will always continue to work that way. You know why? Because God uses the things of this world that are, are, are quiet behind the scenes. The things that are weak in this world so that he could be made strong. So that he can be exalted rather than you. I don't want Joel to be exalted. I want Jesus to be exalted. It has nothing to do about me. It has everything to do about our Savior Jesus Christ. This is the way our God works and this is how he wants to work through you and through me. The, the number three, we got to keep going. Leaders lead by example. Don't they? Dads, how are you doing? Moms, how are you doing? Grandparents, see, leaders lead by example. I love from the beginning of this book, Nehemiah didn't say they and them. He said we and us. One of the things that, that our, our staff always talks about is, is I'm not willing to ask our staff to do something I'm not willing to do. I just won't. If I can be a part of it, I want to be a part of it. I think that's what, I think that's what leaders do. And I'm not saying that, that sometimes we're placed in positions where we have to make decisions and we have to delegate. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about am I willing to get down and dirty and clean some toilets in real life church? You better believe I am. I'm okay with that. You know why? Because I'm not better than that. I'm not. You know why? I have been saved by grace just like every single other person on the planet that has answered the call of the Holy Spirit in their life and has given their heart to Jesus Christ. We are all saved by grace. We are all on a level playing field. And so guess what? As a leader, I'm, I pray like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Because guess what? I'm not better than you, and you're not better than me. We are better together. That's what even he says in, in Philippians. We are better together. And we're going to work on this together. And you can imagine Nehemiah probably walking down the wall as all of these people, all of these families, young, old, uh, brothers, sisters, all these different people, all these politicians, all of these. I mean, you go down, it, you, these leaders are, were a collection of all kinds of different people, perfume makers, goldsmiths, guys that help people look good and smell good. I mean, there was all kinds, and Nehemiah was probably not just walking down, kind of going, it's a nice work, John. Good job. Way to go. You know, be, no, what was he doing? What was he doing? If there was a beam on there, man, he's getting down in there, and he's, okay, we're going to carry this. And he's putting it up, and, and, he's, and he's helping. That, that's what leaders do. That's what we do. We, we get in, and we, we serve alongside those that God is calling us to lead. But then number four, look at verse five with me. It says this, next were the people from Tekoa. People from Tekoa. You know those people. No, I'm just kidding. All right. People from Tekoa. Though their leaders refused to work. Listen, there's always going to be people in the body of Christ who will not answer the call. There always is. Don't let those people, whoever those people are, determine whether or not you're going to be obedient that day or not. Don't let other lives around you. Don't, it's real easy to look around. And, well, they're not doing it. So I, I, I'm okay if I, if I don't. Don't be okay by determining your obedience based on that guy or that gal. Determine your obedience based on what he's asked of you in your own personal relationship. Don't determine uh, the success of your family based on comparison to that family or that family. Look at your own family and go, you know what? We're going to open up this word and we're going to spend time together and I'm going to help teach my children how to pray, how to read God's word, how to understand and be obedient because I want my children to say, mom and dad need Jesus just as badly as I do. What's good for them is good for us and I'm going to set that example for the rest of their life in the best way I know how. And I'm going to start today. Do, do you see that? It, this is, it, there's people around that are going to say, yes, I'm going to lead by example. But then there's other that are going to go, I'm just, I'm not. I don't, I don't care. I, I, I come here, Joel, because it's, it's, it's nice. You know, I, I, like, I like the people. I get welcomed. And, and that's good. I, I want you to be. I, but my prayer is, is that you get invited into more. You, you feel this angst. You feel this weight to take a step further than maybe you ever have before. The fifth thing um, is this. Is look, at, look at verse 10 with me. I love, I love verse 10. It says, Next, Jedidiah, son of Haruma, uh, repaired the wall across from his own house. You see, the thing I think we need to, to, to capture here from verse 10 is that I think work often starts at home. See, they didn't, they didn't go any, their work actually started at their house. They picked up the hammer and nails. Sometimes we overcomplicate, I think, Christianity. Sometimes we overcomplicate the work that God is inviting us into when sometimes the work is actually right in your own household. It's actually 
working on the marriage. It's actually working on the family. It's actually working on the things that, that are most important and leading in the way that God is calling you to. I love this example. He just, I mean, this family in verse 10 just got up and they just started repairing the wall. They're like, yeah, that's broken. Let's, let's work on that. And I, and I think sometimes we, I think we overcomplicate. We look for this huge, grandiose thing. Hey, just maybe, maybe the hammer and nails and the work that God is inviting you into is right there in your own household. Maybe there's things that you need to introduce into your household. Maybe there's things in your household that you need to get rid of. Maybe there's, maybe there's idols. Maybe there's things that are leading your children away. Maybe there's, maybe there's an a, a area of repentance that needs to happen in our lives as parents because we've let our children run the family rather than we as parents running the family. Maybe there is things that, that, that God is, is, is calling and inviting you in to work on right now and you don't have to go further than your own home. This is what God is, is I think, showing us here through Nehemiah of all people. Now, I love where he goes after this because we got to keep going. I love, not only does he give us some insight about the people, he gives us an insight about the path. How many, okay, and I'll just, maybe some of you guys are watching online, but um, I had to ask my oldest son a little bit about this, but, um, but I've, I've had some conversations with a couple other people. There are things in video games, there's gamers out there, so, so if you're a gamer out there, this is a little bit for you, okay, all right? Um, I, was, I was told about something called Easter eggs. Easter eggs. Now, now for those that don't know, like, like I had to ask, what, what, what are you talking about? An, an Easter egg. Now, an Easter egg is not what you think. It's not like an Easter. And, uh, what an Easter egg is, especially in a video game, is it's like, this, it's like this little unknown secret tucked in the game. It's like, and, and they could be sporadically spread out through the game, and, and maybe through the course of the game, it like reveals itself, and it shows itself. Now, here's why I love this, because before video games were even around, gamers, I want you to know, God put Easter eggs in this book, okay? It's incredible, all right? Because when you begin to look at the wall of Nehemiah and the gates of Nehemiah, you see an intentional God going, hey, you know what? I, one day, the people, uh, my children, my followers, will want to know the path that they need to walk throughout the Christian life. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw a little Easter egg in there, and I'm going to show them that path, and I'm going to use gates to show them how to do it. And you're like, what? Well, th this is what's incredible. Look at verse 1 with me. Look at verse 1, it says, Then um, Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild the very first gate. They re rebuild at the sheep gate. So we got a little map here. It's this, uh, if, we, if we can get that map up here. This is the sheep gate right here. This is the very first gate they started to build. Now, I, I'm so thankful that God used that gate as the starting point. You know Why? Because if you begin to understand, the sheep, traditionally, first of all, the sheep gate is where all of the sacrificial lambs that were being sacrificed in the temple, where they would come through. And so all the sacrifice, so that's why all the priests were really interested in getting that gate done. And so the, all the Levites and all the priests, they're in there and they're, they're working on this gate and they're trying to get it done. And so, so they rebuild it, but, 
But here's what's so significant for you and for me today. See, more than just having, a, uh, having a, uh, some sheep coming in and out, what's the very first step that you and I have to take before we actually come into relationship with the God of the universe? We have to go in through the way of the sacrificial lamb of God. Do you see? See, thousands of years before Jesus even came on the scene, God goes, I'm going to use a gate to show that the very first gate that you and I ever have to go through is always the sheep gate. It's always the way of the lamb. Look at what John said in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist said this. He said, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look how intentional our God is. He's using a book in the Old Testament to talk about what Jesus would one day be. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one way, the only way in which we first come into relationship with the God of the universe. We, we put our faith, our hope, and trust in the Lamb of God who sacrificed and gave his life for you and for me so that we can be made right with, the God, with, with God Almighty. I just, I love how intentional he is. Then he goes on in John chapter 10. This is, what, this is Jesus talking. He says this. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. So Jesus is not only setting himself up as the lamb, the holy lamb of God, he's also the gate. So he's both. And he says, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep... It did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. What an incredible promise. But when you walk through the very first gate in life, the very first gate in our spiritual journey is always the sheep gate. It's always the way of the sacrificial lamb of God. And his name is Jesus. And he gave his life for you and for me. And they, if you come through that way, you will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. Now, I, I, jumping ahead, if you actually walk to the very end of chapter 3, Jesus is not only the very first gate you come to, it's also the last gate that's mentioned. You know why? Because he's the first and he's the last. He's the beginning and he's the end. He is Alpha, and he is Omega. He started everything. He will end everything. The war may be going on, but guess what? He's already the victor, because this is who Jesus is. He is the way of the Lamb. He is the gate. He is the one way, the one truth, and the one life, and Jesus alone gives us access. But then here's what. The believer grows up a little bit. The believer grows up, and so we get to gate two, and it says in gate two, it says, um, when, we get, when we get, excuse me, gate two is in Nehemiah chapter three, verse three. It says, the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beams, set up the doors, installed its bolts and bars. The fish gate was mentioned next. Why? Because isn't that the normal path of every believer? See, it's not just enough, hey, hey I, I got my get out of hell free card, right? That's a, no, God goes, no, I, now, now it's time to call you into something bigger. 
Now it's, it's, it's part of, of calling you into being a part of something more than, than you are. And, and guess what? It has, it has everything to do with people. And so that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 says this. Jesus called out to them, to the disciples. He said this, come, hey, follow me. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show you how to fish for people. That's the, just the natural progression. It's not just, I got Christianity, I got my Jesus, and I got my little box, and this is where I am. Now, we love to hang out there, but it's not just about that. It's about us going further and fishing for people. You know why? Because people matter. They matter. They matter to God. They matter to, they, they, they matter to him, and he invites us into that work to, to begin to fish for people. See, evan you cannot separate evangelism, meaning being a witness for Jesus from discipleship, just like you can't separate discipleship from being a witness and an evangelist for Jesus. You, can't, you go to different churches and sometimes they put one emphasis over the other. They're like, no, if you listen, if you just memorize this and you pray, you got it all. Oh, yes, but, but you can't just read this, pray, memorize it, and then keep it to your... I mean, it's, it's like, um, you know, the, you know the, the candle? You don't, you don't take a candle. Hey, you got a candle burning in your life? Awesome. Put it in that closet right there and just shut it. Just close that. You know? Or just, hey, you know what? Just, just put it under that bushel. Oh, no. Right? Okay. All right. That was uncalled for. I shouldn't have said that. All right. All right. The bottom line is, is this. Is we're not supposed to hide what God has done in us. Are we? See, God has, has called us to live out what he is so transformed in. And that's, that's when we come to the fish gate. But then we come to the final gate. We come to the, uh, not the, well, not the final gate this morning, I should say. It's called the old city gate. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, the old city gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Pasea, and Meshulam, son of Besodea. They laid the beams, set up its doors, installed its bolts and bars. See, following the fish gate was the old gate. Nehemiah is the only book in the Bible where it is actually called the old gate. They think it's actually one of the original gates. Now, here's one of the things I know about old, old Christians, men and women that have followed the Lord for a long time, as well as new, new Christians, new believers, those who have just come into a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I know about us, and I'm including myself in this. I am prone to wander. I'm prone to wander. I, I want to find, there's things in me, I want to find a new way sometimes. I want to find an easier way. I want to find a, the new and improved way. And, and, and our world would love to offer you new and improved ways. But now, again, can I just say that that's, that's okay if we're talking about computers. See, if we're talking about computers and you've got a five-year-old computer, yeah, it's probably a little antiquated. It's time to upgrade. It's time to get something new. You know, Tide's constantly coming out with new and improved. It smells better. I don't know, okay? Bottom line is, is, is there's constantly things coming out. But sometimes we have equated truth with this very thing. See, we don't like the old way. You know why? Because it sounds boring. It also sounds really hard and long. And we don't want to do either of those things. 
We just want instantaneous. We want microwave grace. And we want microwave Jesus. And we want, we want instantaneous everything about it. And we don't want to work to get it. We don't want to put any effort to, to, to go after it, to be proactive in our faith. To actually try to, to grow. And I'll just tell you, you know what growth takes? It actually takes reading this book either listening to it on audio tape, whatever it is, but devouring this. Because when you devour this book, can I just say it devours you? It devours you. It swallows you whole. You know why? Because it's alive and it's active. And this truth, no matter how many years go by, the truth never changes. It always remains. So, You're saying, Joel, a thousand years from now, this will be just as true. A thousand years from now, this will be just as true. Ten thousand, keep going. An eternity from now, you know why? Because I know my God. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You See, man, and I've mentioned this before, man, the best we can offer, the best we can offer is a warranty. You know why? Because something we offer will eventually break. It'll eventually go bad. It'll eventually be wrong. The best God offers is always not a warranty, but a guarantee. I want my life to be based on a guarantee. And it's based on truth. And it seems like the old way. And in Jeremiah 6.16, in the the Crossroads series we did uh, several months back, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way. God tells us to ask for that. And then walk in it. Travel its path. And you know what you'll find? You'll find the rest for your soul that you've always been looking for. Church family, look. Only the God of the universe can take an Old Testament book like Nehemiah and give us the journey that we're going to walk as followers of Jesus around this entire gate. This is thousands of years before Jesus. You know why? Because he wanted to set himself up for the glory. To say, yeah, I, I orchestrate everything. What part about that don't you understand? And, and, but guess what? I'm inviting you into this work. It may start at home. And that's okay. Pick up the hammer. Pick up the nails. Whatever you need to do, start the work today. God is inviting you into it. He wants you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Church family, God has so much more in store. Not just for real life, church, but for your life. Please don't don't buy into the seeds of doubt that the adversary is placing in your life, or maybe you walked in with this morning, saying, Joel, I can't. Would you stop buying into that and start knowing that what God has placed in you is enough to complete what he started? He will finish it through you if you let him. My God makes worlds. He makes planets. He breathes life into people that have no life. There are such things as miracles, and they happen today. You know why? Because I know my God. I know my Savior. He lives. 
And he lives not because of anything else, but because he is almighty. He sits on a throne far above me. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. That's what it says in his word, and that's what I can believe in. That's what you can believe in. God's inviting us into more. I want to see lives change. I want to see a world change. You want to join me.